BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. People's Park, born of a parking lot, battled into existence by the 60s generation, held together by activists until this very day. By the property system of the state, it's owned by the University of California. But those with other histories of this one block just off Telegraph Ave think it belongs to the people who built it, or perhaps those who lived on it for generations before colonization. Right now, the current battle on the war is whether the university should be allowed to build more than 1,000 units of student and low-income housing, or whether the park should remain an open space, a sanctuary of sorts, for people in need of help. It's contentious and no wonder. It's a moral drama, it's radical history, it's housing crisis, it's homelessness. People's Park is a story of the last 60 years in so many different ways. Stay tuned for the story after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Here's the current situation at People's Park in Berkeley. For a long time, the university hadn't done much with it. Volunteers had gardened the space and run programs for various groups, and it's 2.88 acres. During the pandemic, the eastern edge of the park became a large encampment for unhoused people. In recent years, the university began trying again to redevelop the parcel of land. About 60% of it will remain a park that the university claims will honor the activist legacy of the park's creation. The rest will be turned into a big new development with 1,100 housing units for students and 100-plus units of supportive housing run through a local nonprofit. In the meantime, the five or six dozen unhoused residents of the park would be offered a roof over their heads at a converted motel. That plan was announced months ago, and the city at least seemed to be on board. Many people moved into the motel's temporary housing. Then, earlier this month, the university moved in to try to begin construction. Activists clashed with police as demolition of the existing trees began, and soon construction was halted. Now a judge has issued an injunction, and the project for now is paused pending a new review. Nationally, People's Park is one of the most famous sites of the student movements of the 1960s. Its profile is even bigger here locally. This history is potent. The symbolism is potent. It's a space people care about, and as we get going... Hope we can remain respectful, even though I know not everyone is going to agree on this show. Joining us to discuss People's Park first, we've got Supriya Yelamelli, housing and homelessness reporter for Berkeley Side. Welcome. Good morning. So I wanted you to give us kind of an update on sort of what does the park look like? What What's the state of People's Park right now if you were to just go up there by telegraph and walk by? Yeah. Um, so I was there yesterday evening around five o'clock. 
There were sprinklers on some activists who run the People's Park Garden were watering that. There's now again, maybe I would say 10 tents there. And those are people who are occupying the park. The People's Park Kitchen, also run by activists, has used some of the fencing that was put around the park uh, <coughs> to block in the kitchen itself. There's some folks who are just hanging out there, um, but it still looks very different than before. The, the trees are felled, as, as people saw. And um, there used to be groups of people who, who kind of just hung out in the area, and that's not so much there. Most of the folks who are at the park now are actively uh, protesting for it. Yeah. You know, for those who don't know the story of the park, just in real capsule form, how did People's Park get started? Because it's no ordinary park. Yeah, um, the UC has always owned the land that the park is on. And in the 60s, alongside many other, um, you know, big rebellions, and the civil rights movements, people who lived in the city decided to take the park land and turn it into uh, a park, a public park. And at the time, there were plans to uh, turn it into a parking lot and, and other UC plans. But People walked into the park, uh, they started digging and shoveling, and there was one very famous protest where around 6,000 people uh, marched to the park when the, the UC tried to reclaim its land. And on that day, uh, one person was shot and killed, and, and that kind of set in motion a lot of the, the activism and, and the real vigor for defending the park. Mm-hmm. So during the pandemic, um, pretty sizable encampment grew in the park. What's really happened to the people who were living there as this kind of most recent construction battle has kind of played out? Yeah, so in the months uh, prior to construction beginning at the park, the UC worked with the city's homeless action team to, as you said, offer people housing at the Roadway Inn, which the UC and uh, the city of Berkeley went in on a joint lease for. That's for 18 months. And Roadway Inn is uh, on University Avenue. Previously, it was a hotel for folks who lived at the West Berkeley encampments that were also closed, and those folks were transitioned out. So uh, the majority of the people living at People's Park took those offers. They moved to the Roadway Inn. Uh, I would say that's around 40 to 50 people. Mm -hmm. And they are going to be living there for that 18-month lease. And the city's plan is to you know, transition them into permanent housing, if that's possible afterward. So right now, we know that construction stopped. There are park defenders sort of in the, in the park right now. What are the legal maneuvers that may end up reshaping the conflict? By legal maneuvers, you mean... Yeah, just like what are the next steps in this kind of, in this legal battle? Yeah, and I know we have um, Harvey Smith here on the UC as well, too. So Mm -hmm. they'll be able to tell you in in full detail as they're involved. But right now, um, the stay order that the judge has granted, that goes until about October, I believe, Um, And until that time, the UC is allowed to maintain its fences and security on the property, but they're not allowed to move forward with construction. And the UC has said that, you know, their priority is safety and they'll continue with construction when, when it's a good time to do so. But in the meantime, I think it's 
doing two different things. I think activists are getting some time to kind of rally the troops and spread their message. And it's also going to be when the university is back in session, um, if it does indeed go to October. Um, the lawsuit itself, I mean, you know, anything could happen there, but if the judge decides that Berkeley is violating CEQA, which, which the university has maintained that it's not, um, you know, that could lead to a longer block on construction. Yeah. We're talking about the future of People's Park. We've been joined first here by Sapria Yelameli, the housing and homelessness reporter for Berkeley Side. I want to bring in our other two guests. First, we've got Dan Mogilev, Assistant Vice Chancellor of Public Affairs at the University of California, Berkeley. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Alex. Great to be here. And we have Harvey Smith, member of People's Park Historic District Advocacy Group and author of Berkeley and the New Deal. Welcome, Harvey. Good morning. Um, Dan, uh, I want you to walk us through the current UC plan. Just for, for people, imagine people haven't heard all the different plan components. What's the vision as the university sees it for what's now People's Park? Uh, so the vision really starts five years ago. Um, UC Berkeley is facing an urgent student housing crisis. And an initiative was launched with relatively modest goals. And those goals were to provide every incoming freshman with two years of university housing, every transfer student and graduate student with one year. But to do that, we need 8,000 new beds. 20% um, of our students don't even live in the city of Berkeley. 10% of our students report being unhoused at any given time. And our students are out in the private market, um, driving up rents for working people in the city of Berkeley. So we need to address that. And in order to address that, we need to build on every single piece of university-owned property in close proximity to the campus. Um, and People's Park is one of those sites. And so the first so we, thing, Dan, can I say, just um, sure, the first right thing that people say that, I, that I've heard activists say is, well, why doesn't the UC take fewer students if they just don't have space for them to have housing? So, Alexa, if you can just hang on to that question. Sure, sure, sure. I think yeah. there's some important additional yeah. contextual information that I was in the middle of conveying. Sure. Um, but we understood from the very beginning that we're competing interests. It wasn't just about the student community, though obviously that's one of the university's primary priorities. We also understood how important the park site is to members of the Berkeley community, its past, its legacy. We understood there were unhoused people who had been sleeping and gathering there in the pandemic. So instead of blithely rushing ahead, we developed a plan that acknowledges and addresses all of those various interests housing for students. We're donating, making available land worth $8 million for supportive housing. We're ready to and want to commemorate the park's past, the park's past and legacy. Um, and also we wanted to, as Sapri explained, make sure that we are meeting the needs and interests of unhoused people who've been using the park. And so not only was nearly $5 million spent to help them relocate to the roadway in, Another million dollars is being spent by the city and the campus to open a new daytime gathering center at the First Presbyterian Church, where unhoused people can receive services and food and showers, medical care, counseling, and the like. So that, that's the big plan. We understand that we can't just proceed. If we want to be good neighbors in this region, in the city of Berkeley, we can't just proceed thinking about a single community. 
And in this context, it's harder and harder to understand the opposition. So that's where we are in terms of the project, the big picture. But if you could ask the question you had one more time, and I'd be yeah, happy. Why, yeah, why, why not take fewer students? I mean, that's the first thing that I've heard people say. It's like the university has just expanded beyond its sort of housing means and, and needs to sort of rein itself in. Yeah, so there are a number of fallacies and I think sort of myths around that question. First of all, the UC campuses don't decide their own enrollment levels. Enrollment is decided by the regents in concert with the office of the president and our democratically elected leaders and representatives in Sacramento. And they're facing pressure from throughout the state for the UC to enroll more students. Why? Because the size of the system hasn't tracked with the growing population of the state of the Cali of California. And so we have in recent years been required to take more students than we had housing for, exacerbating a pre-existing crisis. Mm -hmm. um, in the years going forward, Alexis, we are no longer designated. We're not designated as a growth campus. But the fact remains that we have a situation of existing students who are matriculating at UC Berkeley who need and deserve housing. There's one more fallacy, and it pops up all the time in uh, Supriya's publication, Berkeley Side, this idea that somehow the university is enrolling extra students because we profit from them. Unfortunately, as it happens, when you take the tuition money we receive and the per capita state funding we receive and any relevant philanthropy, it doesn't come close to meeting the cost of education. Actually, if all we cared about were finances, we'd be taking less students. Hmm. Joining us to discuss People's Park this morning, we've got Dan Mogilov, Assistant Vice Chancellor of Public Affairs at the University of California, Berkeley, Supriya Yelamelli, housing and homelessness reporter with Berkeley Side. And after the break, we're going to talk with Harvey Smith, a member of the People's Park Historic District Advocacy Group and author of Berkeley and the New Deal to help us understand the opposite opposition to the university's plans in People's Park. And of course, we would like to hear from you too. What do you think of UC Berkeley's plan for People's Park? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is form at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about the future of People's Park, joined by Supriya Yelamelli, housing and homelessness reporter with Berkeley Side, Dan Mogilev, Assistant Vice Chancellor of Public Affairs at the University of California, Berkeley, Harvey Smith, member of People's Park Historic District Advocacy Group. Um, Harvey, we're going to come to you in just one second, but Supriya, I wanted to give you a chance to respond quickly to what Vice Chancellor uh, Dan Mogilev was saying about the 
role that enrolling more students plays in the university's finances in particular, uh, I'm imagining we're talking about students from outside California who are kind of paying um, full full tuition, et cetera. Do you want to talk about like sort of how you your publication has covered that issue? I wasn't the one covering the okay. UC lawsuit specifically, but I, I do have an answer to this. Um, sure. This is something that, you know, is a California-wide problem. People, I attended the UC and people like to say that out-of-state students are, you know, profitable for the UC and, and that has been proven in reporting and um, UC Berkeley and the city uh, agreed to an 83 million settlement where the UC will be paying the city around $4 million a year to, you know, pay for the services of its expanded uh, student body. And while that doesn't speak to, you know, profiting off of students or anything like that, it's a separate issue. There, There is a lot of money in play here. Um, and, you know, part of this settlement is that the city is going to be on board with plans at People's Park. Um, and I, I did just wanted to add that bit of detail. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good thing to point out. We asked many representatives of the city of Berkeley to come on with us. They couldn't for various reasons, um, which we were we were a little disappointed about. Um, Harvey, I uh, wanted to come to you. Help us understand the opposition to uh, the UC's plans at People's Park. Like for you, where where does that opposition come from? Well, for me personally, um, you know, I have a great familiarity with the university. I have an undergraduate degree, a graduate degree. I've worked at the university and my son has a doctorate degree. So it, I, I don't come to this with not understanding UC. Uh, but I'm, you know, highly uh, disappointed with sort of the devolution of UC. When I was a student, uh, there was zero tuition. Now I think students pay about $14,000 a year for tuition plus housing cost of um, probably another 14,000 uh, housing and, and board. Um, and then you add in student loans. So uh, students today take on an enormous burden by, by going to UC that just didn't exist. So mm -hmm. UC was a truly public institution when I was a student. And um, I think it's, it's become something else. But uh, getting you know to People's Park, you know, I, I often hear, um, you know, the 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 issue of uh, you know about student housing, and uh, the the core thing there, our organization is totally in favor of more student housing. I applaud uh, the plan to provide more student housing. Um, I just uh, we're critical of of um, the delivery of the plan, and and the fact that you uh, see has focused first uh, or almost first on People's Park uh, when it has other alternatives. You know, I've often heard uh, Dan Mogoloff say that there's an acute housing crisis at Berkeley. And I don't know how you can call it an acute housing crisis when the university has known about it for over a half century. I would call it a chronic housing crisis because of the longevity of this problem. Um, I think the only thing acute about it is the university has finally become uh, embarrassed publicly, you know, it's more acute embarrassment crisis because of the fact that it's been reported that um, up to 10% of, of Berkeley students at one time in their tenure at Cal have been homeless. So yes, it's an urgent problem, 
but um, our feeling is that it should be addressed in an appropriate way. And building uh, on people's park is totally inappropriate. It's the, the problem is that when you add more housing to an area that's already the most populated uh, area of Berkeley, you need more open space and parks rather than less. So as we more, add more people uh, to the neighborhood, uh, this is really the, the wrong approach. Um, there, are, there are alternative sites the university has. And part of our uh, lawsuit... Although, you know, Harvey, can I ask you about the open space thing? Because I've heard this a lot from, from activists. But, I mean, just a few blocks to the east, you've got, like, massive, massive East Bay Regional Park stuff. It feels like there's actually a ton of open space right there. I, I haven't actually been able to, uh, like, kind of parse that argument. I understand there isn't, like, a traditional park space with like sod but there's there is a lot of open space just i mean just a few blocks east well a few blocks east in the hills we're talking about urban areas you know um it it's like uh you know asking people in san francisco when they're looking for a park to go to parnassus heights you know um go to the berkeley hills no we're talking about urban parks and let's look at it from uh the standpoint of public safety um we, we're reading about wildfires every day. You know, Berkeley has experienced two massive uh, urban uh, wild uh, interface fires. 1923, it burned actually a block away from the housing project number one at Oxford University, one block. And the, uh, o- the Oakland Hills fire in 1991 uh, almost destroyed the Claremont Hotel. So th- this issue of wildfire is not getting you know, mm-hmm. any better. And so, you know, a, a, a refuge, a site where people can go. What about earthquake? You know, the, the earthquake fault, the major fault, the one that is due for a, a, a major um, event, it goes right through Memorial Stadium. Um, right. Are right students the- high rise going to feel comfortable staying in their, in their high rise uh, during an earthquake? They, they want some open space. So... There's many reasons that that we need uh, urban parks and open space. Harvey, you know, your group has proposed an alternative to the UC plan to keep the entire park as a park. Um, Could you describe what that alternative's components are supposed to be? Well, yes. I mean, um, you know, we've looked, obviously, at the university. We see a lot of beautiful green open space at the university, well-maintained. You can look at any Berkeley park. Um, it's well maintained, and the issue with with um, People's Park is it's been neglected. It, it's that plot of land has been owned by the university. Um, I should add, since the '60s, it was not originally used land. It was um, seized by eminent domain, and if we go way back, it was a loney land. So the fact is that the the park, um, you know, should remain uh, a park but a well-maintained park. And uh, university has totally dropped the ball in terms of maintaining the park. And then there's the long history. I mean, you know, this debate goes beyond Berkeley. It goes beyond California. Uh, The park has been placed on the National Register of Historic Places. And yes, people from all over the country, in fact, people from all over the world come to Berkeley and ask, where is People's Park? Um, So, uh, it's interesting that the chancellor in her recent missive to the students uh, that released on uh, last Monday um, 
totally neglected the fact that uh, the, the park is now in the National Register. That it, it's, it's a recognized historic site. Uh, so it's another reason why this is a totally inappropriate place to, to do housing right now. Yeah. Uh, Dan Mogilev, you know, the park is such a historic place. So much of that history is actually rooted in opposition to UC. Uh, and a you know a listener writes in to say, you know, I find it odd that all of UC Berkeley's property, they're of of all of UC Berkeley's property, they're choosing to build housing at People's Park. They have so much land, just build somewhere else. I, this does seem to be the the major question. I mean, the the opposition is so deeply rooted at, at People's Park. Wouldn't it be easier to build in another part of the UC's land holdings? So, I, Alexis, I need to repeat what we said earlier. In order for us to reach our goal of 8,000 beds, new beds, in order to give our students two years of university housing, and that's a crisis that really impacts most severely low-income students, um, we need to build and we will build on every piece of university-owned property close to campus, including the sites that Harvey's organization um, have identified. Those projects are in the works. And in fact, we have four projects underway at the moment. Um, you know, as a little sidebar, um, one of the co-litigants that's involved in the lawsuit against the campus has sued us for every student housing project we've tried to launch in recent years. It ain't easy out there to build student housing, but we're gonna persevere because it's important. Yeah. Um, you know what, I, I understand, we understand the objections. We understand the need for green space. That's why two thirds of the park will be preserved as open green space. We understand the park's importance, its legacy, its history. And that's why we've committed to a commemoration. It's why we wanna work with people like Harvey and like people in his organization to make sure that commemoration is done correctly and done respectfully of, the, of that site's important history. But at the same time, as Harvey knows, designation as a landmark doesn't in any way impede our ability or our right to develop that land. Alexis, you also talked about deep support. Let's step back for a second and really talk about that and unpack that first. The elected representatives of the city of Berkeley, the mayor, the city council, um, business groups all support our project. Our students by a two to one more margin. We contracted with an independent outside survey firm, one of the leading firms in the country, Two separate polls found that Berkeley students by a two to one margin support that project. So when you talk about deep opposition, does it exist in certain quarters? Absolutely. But you're painting with a little bit of a broad brush here. Well, I didn't say broad. I said deep. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good uh, enough. Okay. Let, let's bring in um, one student. We've got a student on the line right now. Uh, June in Oakland. Welcome to the show. Hey, June. Can you hear me? Hi. Hey, June. Hi. Sorry. Hey, my name's June. Um, I, I'm a recent graduate of Berkeley. Um, I used to live in Berkeley. I live in Oakland now. And I just wanted to share a little bit more information about the housing and services that um, Dan said that the UC is providing the unhoused residents of People's Park. Um, so a lot of people who lived at the park and relied on the resources at the park didn't actually get into the roadway 
And even the ones who did are treated really poorly. A lot of them say that they're treated subhuman or they're infantilized. Um, And Where Do We Go Berkeley actually released a report recently detailing um, ongoing abuse and neglect that's been happening at the roadway, which hasn't been addressed by the UCE um, or by the city of Berkeley. And on top of that, the Sacred Rest, which is the daytime drop-in center that the UCE claims is providing services to unhoused residents, um, that that drop-in center is actually privately managed by a church and recently for it's been closed for several weeks for private church events for camps and things like that that they've been doing at the church um and even when the drop-in center is open it closes every day around 6 p.m um so you know that's the only restroom that the uc has provided for people the only uh nearby access to any services or any open space that the uc has provided uh, since they tried to close off people's park. Um, yeah. And additionally, well, Junior, all hope, of this- Junior, bringing up a lot of really important points that I want to go to Dan on. In, in particular, wanted to get uh, some an answer from you, Dan Mogoloff, about the conditions at the Roadway Inn. There is this report from the homeless advocacy group, uh, Where Do We Go, uh, uh, Berkeley, and what is what is the UC's uh, approach to Roadway Inn? What's its relationship to the operator of of that space? And how would you respond to what June was asking about the the, the nature of the housing available there? So first of all, um, the report that June references, I believe, refers to what was going on at the Roadway Inn with a previous encampment, not the people from People's Park. Um, The city is the lead agency. The city has taken on the traditional responsibilities of a municipality Mm -hmm. in terms of unhoused members of its community. Um, My understanding is that they are responding quickly and effectively to all of, to any and all issues or concerns about the services being provided there. They are using $4.7 million in state funds They've contracted with one of the leading non-profit service providers for unhoused people in the county of Alameda. The people there are on a path to permanent housing. Um, I'm not aware of any existing problems there. I'm aware of past problems. Um, My understanding is they're being addressed, but these are important questions and need to be addressed to the city's team, to the homeless response team. Um, the university is proud to to partner with them, um, and it's simply what I'm hearing right now contradicts what I'm hearing from other sources, from our colleagues in the city. As far as the daytime rest center goes, that's being run by the Village of Love, another nonprofit whose executive director himself was formerly unhoused. Um, that's nearly a million dollars was spent. Yes, the church did close the site for two weeks during its summer camp. That was always part of the contract. But what we have now is instead of people sitting in the dirt, there's a center where they can come to eat, to shower, to receive services. None of these things existed. And so is this a work in progress? Are we learning as we're going? Absolutely. But to argue that somehow the status quo ante, what we had before in the park, no services, no showers, no counseling, no employment guidance, That's, that was somehow preferable to what's on offer at the First Presbyterian Church, that just doesn't add up for us. 
Well, June, you're still on the line, I think. Um, I would love you to respond to that. I mean, is the university's efforts, in, in your view, seem to be falling short of what you would hope, but are they better than the status quo ante that existed at the park before these efforts? Absolutely not. Um, before before the UC moved on the park, it was a center of community. It was a center of mutual aid. There, there are... Um, a whole variety of orgs in, in Berkeley that do mutual aid, that give out food, resources, that provide services to the park. There was a social worker there. Um, and people were able to be there 24-7. They were able to live there, to survive there, to actually build a community there. Whereas the places that the UC is offering now, um, they have a bunch of rules, limited time that you can be there you know it's not the same as the park um and i really have an issue with dan saying that it was just people sitting on dirt it was actually a beautiful park full of trees um grass there was a garden and there was a whole community of people there taking care of each other um i was out there for a year um i've been out there since last january doing mutual aid with people for months i was um helping serve food from the kitchen uh doing kitchen shifts uh, multiple times a week. So it's just really frustrating to hear the UC's perspective that they think that they're really providing something better for unhoused residents when the park was already a beautiful place for unhoused residents and had so much potential to be invested in, to be developed and built up into a stronger community that actually supports the unhoused and low-income community in Berkeley, which the UC's uh, mitigation measures, the roadway in-housing and the sacred rest don't actually do and 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 if if dan if you had talked to any of the unhoused residents you would hear them say the same thing um so i just really want to include their voices in this conversation as well because um from the uc side it seems like they're being left out uh june uh student activist recent graduate of of berkeley thank you for for that call and we will get back to these issues after the break we are talking about the future of people's park we've got supriya yellamelli housing and homelessness reporter at berkeley side dan mogulov assistant vice chancellor of public affairs at the university of california berkeley and harvey smith a member of people's park historic advocacy group author of berkeley and the new deal we're going to get to more of your calls after the break and a bunch, bunch more comments. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about the current controversy at People's Park over 
building housing in that space. We're joined by Harvey Smith, a member of the People's Park Historic District Advocacy Group, Dan Mogulov, Assistant Vice Chancellor of Public Affairs at UC Berkeley, and Supriya Yelameli, a housing and homelessness reporter at Berkeley Side. Uh, some comments coming in. Uh, Leah writes, People's Park is not a usable urban space for most people. I lived in Unit 2 next to People's Park in the mid-90s, and walking past it every day as a petite woman felt like an invitation to be assaulted. I've lived in the Bay Area for nearly 30 years and have pointedly never even crossed through it. It's never felt safe. My parents lived in Berkeley and went to Cal in the 60s and agree that its history is completely overly romanticized. This space should have been repurposed years ago. Uh, Robin writes, If People's Park is the best Berkeley can do for people, then it's an abject failure. It's not a park for people. There are no children playing there, no elderly, no swings or slides. The protest isn't about the free speech movement. By now, the park's legacy is one of drugs, crime, and unhoused people. The lawsuits are financial distractions, just as are the protests. This park should be a park for all people of all ages and backgrounds and or housing. Where is the controversy in that? Um, Harvey, I wanted to come to you, you know, People's Park's legacy as a political space obviously con- continues on. Its legacy as an encampment of for for unhoused people, you know, uh, the kind of community that that June was was representing. Do you see that as being in alignment with the history of the park? Was that an evolution of how you saw People's Park, you know, uh, through through time? And would you have wanted the park kept in the state that it was previously? Uh, no, actually. But, uh, you know, how soon we forget. Um, two years ago, when COVID started, uh, UC played benevolent and said, well, people can camp in the park now because of COVID. At the same time, they were denigrating the park, claiming that it, it was the epicenter of crime in Berkeley. Well, in one of our declarations to the court, um, we used a website called Crime Mapping that collects data it's actually all over the country, but we focused on Berkeley. And this data is from UC police and from uh, Berkeley police. And we focused on a 20 block area surrounding People's Park. What did we find? And, and it's listed, anybody can do this. Um, the 94% of crime in that 20 block area occurred outside of the park. So I, I know that uh, Dan Mogoloff and others at UC have keep beating this drum of, of the high rate of crime in People's Park, and pretty soon you start to believe it, you know. Uh, but I see young people playing on those basketball courts all the time. I see young people in the park. Uh, yes, the park could be a lot better, you know, with, with maintenance and care. Uh, it, it could be a, a very different place. Why shouldn't People's Park, the same size as Civic Center Park, 2.8 acres, look just like Civic Center Park? You know, there are a few homeless people that will sit on benches there, but we have students from Berkeley High. We have a farmer's market every week. We have events there. Um, People's Park could be the same, but the university has m- maintained the state of, of disrepair uh, at the park and, and again, use the homeless, you know, in, in, in promoting this current project. One of the issues we have that's in the lawsuit is the fact that UC did not really uh, study alternatives. They, they essentially omitted any discussion, analysis, or, or adequate mention of alternatives um, to the park. You know, I, I'd like to know why. Why did UC pick People's Park as its second student housing development when it knows uh, from the very beginning it would be highly controversial and from our point of view, highly inappropriate? Well, Harvey, let me ask you this. Is there 
any plan that includes a substantial housing development at People's Park that would be acceptable to to you and the sort of wing of the opposition that you represent? Well, no, because we need the park. We need the open space. And you see kind of dressing it up, kind of putting lipstick on a pig here, um, claiming that uh, creating 60% uh, grass and hardscape, um, it, it maintains the, the park. And then I think it's the ultimate in insensitivity and arrogance that you see should be the one that is commemorating the park. You see created the original mess at the park. It's maintaining it all these years. And, and they're the ones that are going to put a monument to People's Park in the park. Well, Harvey, I, I did want to, how, how is keeping 60% of it open, um, putting lipstick on the pig? I mean, I, I actually, that that seems like a solid amount of space. Like, what is it that you would want to see in that part of the, the park that's not in the current plans? I, I want to see the trees that were there before. I want to see the, the wildlife. We, we, we took just one hour and did a bird survey. We found uh, 17 species of, of birds, multiple examples, including at, at the top of the food chain, a uh, family of red-tailed hawks. You know, So I don't know the future of, of that community of birds. And certainly, the, the, it's going to take many years for the trees to go back. So uh, that's what I want to see. I, I want to see an urban ecosystem in the middle of Berkeley that's absolutely needed when you add more people to the south side in high-rise housing. Alex. Yes, Dan Mogilev. Yeah. UC Berkeley. You know, Alexis, there are a lot of things that Harvey said and June said that I could contest, but I, I want to raise a diff slightly different subject. So much of this goes to how do we make decisions in this country around contentious issues where there cannot and will never be 100% unanimity? Do we cede our decision-making authority to those who are willing and ready to engage in violence like we saw in the park, um, who were willing to engage in vandalism? A million and a half dollars of damage was done or are decisions made by our democratically elected representatives? We have the support of the city and the city council. We've surveyed our students with scientific random sample surveys. The university has carefully considered these plans. And if the court gives us the go ahead, we will construct. But if the court doesn't, we will not. We will do what the court requires. Are we still a country where there's rule of law? I understand Harvey's perspectives. And let me say, Harvey, we're not gonna decide commemoration on our own. In fact, if there's an area in this project where the university could have and should have done a better job engaging and communicating, it's around that commemoration. We wanna work with the people of Berkeley. We wanna work with you, Harvey, with your organization. So that commemoration is meaningful. We don't want propaganda. We want something that's meaningful and important. And these are all elements of a larger whole. So how do we proceed? What, do we, what happens when people are willing to take the law into their own hands? Do we cede all of our power as a democracy to those who are willing to engage in violence? That's what it comes down to. These objections that have been raised, and we understand them and we've heard them, and we've done our best to address them always keeping our eyes on our student population. So if the court decides, yes, Harvey, should we be able to proceed? 
or should we back off in the face of violence and vandalism? Alexis, I, I, I yeah. need to. Can I respond to that, please? You can res you can respond to that, and let's go to you, Supriya. Okay. Um, first of all, the violence was not initiated uh, by the people in the park. It was mm. you see that went in there with chainsaws and initiated mm. the violence, mm. just as as they did back in the '60s. So um, I I don't buy that argument. And, and chainsaws against people? Are Harvey you saying that we went after people with the no chainsaws? no you you cut down the trees? You're telling me that cutting the trees is 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 not violence? No, I'm telling you that's the start of construction. Yeah, well, it, what happened there was that um, very opportunistically and cynically, uh, UC exploited a little gap. Um, at any time, UC lawyers could have called ours, and they and we would have told them, they would have told them that, yes, we're going to pursue a, an appeal, and we're going to pursue another state. Um, and so, actually, the actions may, may damage UC in court, because they um, preemptively went in and, and destroyed uh, the trees in the park. So, but they weren't they weren't legally prevented from doing so at that moment. I mean, you said exploited the gap, yes. but they were yeah, yeah. legally. Oh, not. But, but I also, you know, yeah. I, I I don't really want to get into like a like a, a back and forth on some of these uh, points. I know they're important, but I also know that you two kind of both know what the other person's going to say. Uh, <laughs> Supriya, um, what did you want to say? I just wanted to make sure you had a chance to jump in. Yeah, I wanted to um, zoom out just a little bit, provide some added context. Yeah, there are thank you. Groups that, you know, are in this conversation and I think have been left out of the conversation online and in the media and a lot of different other places because they, as they've been saying, are marginalized and their voices aren't represented. One, I wanted to make clear that there are different groups asking for different things at the park. Um, June was just on and June uh, has been at the protests uh, with Defend People's Park, which is uh, mostly a student run organization and some of their demands they want People's Park returned to indigenous stewardship. Uh, that's the Chochenyo Ohlone land that Harvey mentioned. They want no development at People's Park and they want folks who previously lived there or who got resources at the park to uh, get permanent housing. And then they also want UC police defunded and for those funds to be redirected to students and staff who need services as well as people who lived at the park. So this is very different from both arguments made with the lawsuit and some folks who, who don't want any housing built in Berkeley. Those are three very different groups. And you know we've been talking about opposition and support and the people who support the folks, um, the ones who I just mentioned who don't want housing at the park, uh, at the protests we've heard from Moms for Housing who you know, famously reclaimed a home in Oakland um, and were able to live there. We have heard alignment from folks at the Wood Street encampment in Oakland. We've heard alignment from, you know, groups in San Francisco and in Los Angeles, other people who have been fighting for uh, homeless rights. And I don't want to take up too much time, but when I heard some of those reader questions, I think, you know, they were saying, I've never been to that park. So how is it really for the people? And I think we do have to be respectful of homeless voices who are not represented in this call saying that this is where I got my resources. This is where I go when 
you know, if I don't have a phone or my friend doesn't have a phone, I can go here and hear from someone who will know their whereabouts. And these are very distinct issues from the student housing crisis and mm -hmm. housing yeah. crisis. Well, Supreme, so can, can I ask you one other thing, though? Because, you know, in one of our other, um, you also appeared on NKQD on the Bay, and you said that you talked to some people at the Roadway Inn, you know, had previously been unhoused, who actually were like, this is better than than being unhoused. And I feel like, Right. I mean, is there a danger that there's kind of a like a, a filtering mechanism by which like only the people who are mad about wh what has happened kind of continue to be heard because those who've become satisfied with the supportive housing kind of leave the discussion? You mean, do you think only people who appreciate the housing are being heard or? No, no, no. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying, you know, the 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 people who have decided like, oh, I like being in this motel better are we hearing their voices too, right? Other other folks who don't necessarily want to stay in People's Park. Certainly. I, I mean, I think there's just a across the board lack of hearing the voices of these folks at all um, because they're hard to reach. And, you know, you can't always get them on the radio or in the newspaper or in a university press release. I think that there are people who certainly acknowledge that living outside in the cold and the dirt is not what they want. And if the Bay Area and California didn't have a housing crisis, we wouldn't be contending with that over one plan to build a student dorm, right? But there are people who are hoping very earnestly and positively that this transitional housing and this 18-month lease leads to housing. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, we can. Go ahead. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, there are people who are grateful for this opportunity. There are folks who, you know, are more comfortable living on the streets as well because of past traumas and, and past terrible experiences with the institutions that surround them. Um, and to them, this, you know, I think a lot of people, and I don't want to speak for them because importantly, those voices should be heard independently of you know, the three groups that we have here today, but it, it's not binary. It never mm -hmm. is. And um, yeah, I yeah. think we all Thanks, Alexis. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Really quickly, uh, Dan Mogolov again. And Supriya brings up an incredibly important point and as well as June um, previously. And I just want to note that all of the plans that were developed in concert with the city, in concert with the state, were based on what unhoused people told us. We went out of our way to ensure their voices were heard. We had graduate students from our School of Public Policy who were in the park every day asking people, what are the services and supports that you need and that you want? The social worker June mentioned, he forgot to mention it's our social worker. We are, to the best of our knowledge, the only university that hired a social worker to provide care and services, to connect people with services, unhoused people in the university's community. He's been out there every day. Even before these efforts at the Roadway Inn, the university social worker had found permanent housing for more than 100 people who had been sleeping in the park. And so we could not agree more that those are voices that should be heard, that have been heard in the past and need to continue to be heard going forward. So we can continue as a university, as a community to meet the needs and to address an equally urgent crisis among unhoused people, equally urgent to the crisis faced by our students. 
Wanted to ask you one more uh, student question. Amanda writes, my name is Amanda Hill, and I was an ACUC, ASUC senator last year. Uh, mm-hmm. I find it interesting that the university is claiming they don't make money off students, but student government officials were publicly told that the previous enrollment freeze, which there's another forum show on that if you want to go search it, cost the campus $100 million, That's would right. cost the campus $100 million. Additionally, the campus owns over 8,000 acres, with the main campus only taking up 178 acres. Uh, it's ridiculous to say there's not enough land or we are a, a land-poor university. Do you want to just – I want to make sure Amanda's uh, questions kind of get answered there, Dan. Yeah, so the vast majority of the acres she's talking about is that very open wildland in the East Bay Hills. It has no infrastructure, has no roads, has no gas, has no electricity. It's a fire danger, and it's some of the most wonderful open space that we have here. Why would we develop wildlands? when we have urban parcels that are perfectly suitable for development. Number two, when talking about the enrollment freeze and financial impacts, yes, we would have been severely impacted if there had been an enrollment freeze, but that doesn't mean we're making money or profiting off of students. It just means that our inherent sort of structural deficit for every additional student would have only deepened. Yeah. Last question for you, Dan. How much wiggle room do you have in these current plans? Can can some other kind of deal be struck without you having to go to the very top of the of the UC system? Not exactly sure what you're asking. Just like if there, do you have? Does the university have space to change some of its plans around without having to go to the to the regents again? Look, the fact is the university has already changed its plans. Um, Midstream two years ago, the chancellor said, wait a second, we've heard you. We agree with you. We're not going to proceed here unless and until we can offer people sleeping in the park transitional housing. We're not going to proceed unless and until we can offer people who are gathering in the park an alternative gathering place. We're saying now we want to work with the community on commemoration. We've already trimmed down the project size itself, the building, the building footprint. So only a third of the space is taken. How much Dan, farther I'm have can to we cut go? You off only so we can ID everyone before we go. We've been talking about the future of People's Park with Dan Mogilev, Assistant Vice Chancellor of Public Affairs at the University of California, Berkeley. Supriya Yellamelli from Berkeley Side and Harvey Smith from People's Park Historic District Advocacy Group. Thank you all so much for joining us. It's a hard conversation. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for another hour ahead. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.